everybody, and welcome to Talking Fun Points, the uh, podcast where we talk about the same albums that Fun Point talked about several years ago. <laughs> uh, actually, I guess this, this is, is only the third time this has happened. Yeah. And one of those times we weren't even uh, the people recording, so. <laughs> this is actually Tuning Fork, a podcast about music and the Pitchfork Media hype machine. I'm David. I'm Matt. We have a guest today uh, who is joining us to talk about an album that he loves a lot. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Joey Walker. I am a musician. Um, and yeah, I like this album a lot. Hell yeah. This is this is kind of an album that um, is really up there in the like pitchfork importance scale to me. Mm-hmm. It's also like I think one of our like musical taste hallmark albums like it's one of the ones that we knew that we'd be covering the second this podcast started it's like yeah, this, so this and is spider-man of the rings and like silent shout which we will get to eventually yeah so this is east by joanna newsome um and joey i wanted to kind of start with you like how did you first get into joanna newsome back in the day great question i was thinking about this um for a while um, so I think I found this album during my freshman year of high school. So that would have been 2007. So only a year after this album came out. Um, I don't remember exactly who introduced me to it. Um, but at the time I was really into neutral milk hotel and of course, <laughs> as one does as a, a as a high school adolescent. freshman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, I think, I don't remember how I found that album, but what I do remember is, Knowing that it got, did it get a ten on Pitchfork? The later uh, retrospective review of it did. The right. first, at first, it got like an eight point two. Okay, well, either way, it was through Pitchfork that I found Neutral Milk Hotel, and subsequently Joanna Newsom. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe I'd seen the name and didn't check it out, and then I had a, an online friend tell me to listen to it. Um, but it was definitely like through Pitchfork, so um, very apt to be talking about it in this. <laughs> on your lovely podcast <laughs> through like this specific lens it's like it, it's definitely an album that like um i know people will will kind of deride it as being pitchforky but like it definitely deserves any and all hype it has been given yeah this this was like uh for me um joanna Newsom. i had I, I had like you said heard her name before but not really ever checked her out and then i was at uh my local library that I grew up a block away from one day perusing through their uh, CD section and um, not this CD, but the follow-up EP Joanna Newsom and the East street band was there. Um, and so I grabbed that one and I listened to it and I was like, Oh, well, I guess I understand why people are talking about her now. So she was kind of like one of the first um, like folk artists that i got into um like not not indie rock not folk rock but just folk in general um yeah and so i after after that i listened to i listened to east and then i completely understood why everyone was so into her at the time i really feel like the uh, the the term freak folk being applied to it is like a huge disservice in like a whole <laughs> bunch of ways uh, I guess we can yeah. almost talk about like how much that label just kind of sucks in the first place for a lot of reasons. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, we haven't really talked about we haven't really talked about the the use of that term at all on this podcast yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, we haven't really talked about anything that would fit the banner. Yeah. That would, Except that for would like fit animal the, that collective. That would fit the banheart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
people well, lumped I mean, Animal Collective in with it a lot back in like the Sung Tongs and oh, Feels Oh yeah, Day. I guess that kind of works in that era. Well, that's yeah, what yeah. I was going to yeah. say is uh, like even on Vashti Bunyan's follow-up, Look Aftering, Joanna plays harp on that. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, Vashti worked with Animal Collective on Prospect Hummer. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because I think it, it must have been around Have One on Me when she got interviewed by Nardwar. Yeah. And... <laughs> and I remember him saying something about like that movement, that movement. And she was like, yeah, to like lump me in with like any movement at all. Like, yeah, it's kind of like pointing out how silly it was. Mm-hmm. And that it's that, that was an occasional, like you don't get them very often, but that was definitely a Nardwar L. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes he will, he'll, he'll chase well, no. something in an interview and it just kind of feels really awkward. But it does yeah. kind of work in service of, of the interview format and the character that he's playing. But it, it kind of just it, it seemed like a it seemed like a line of questioning that she wasn't particularly interested in, nor was like she like she didn't really want to engage with it. Well, I watched it the other day and I interpreted it as him like agreeing with her point of view, like even before she had a chance to answer. OK, because um, he kind of like preempted it was like, yeah, I'm sure you love being referred to as being a part of like that movement. Oh my god! Okay, okay, never mind. I was misremembering the interview. Yeah, Ugh. it's it's been um, a while since I I dug into like Nardwar's back backlog of all of his interviews. Um, but I did watch a lot of them. As long as you like, don't go as lo- as good as long as you don't go into his '90s interviews. That's where no, his actual hours are. Good ones. There are <laughs> the one with Henry Rollins is so funny. Okay, yeah, yeah no, the Henry Rollins one is very funny. And um, then the, the Lydia Lunch one is like they are like. Almost like gonna get in a fight is crazy. Ugh, that what, Lydia Lunch it, one kills me. <laughs> was it Oasis that actually got into a fight with him? A uh, blur. <laughs> it was blur. Okay. Yeah. But uh, going God. back, to, yeah, it's like the the freak folk movement. Um, I feel like it kind of culminated with that Family Jams documentary. I don't know if either of you have ever seen it. And I'm not aware of it. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen the whole thing, but I've seen pretty much all of joanna's parts in it because that's how much of a fan i am um (laughs) someone someone's made like a super cut and i've watched that plenty of times um but it was like this tour in 2003 or four maybe it was like both years on and off but it was like joanna bill callahan um devendra banhart among others who just went on tour and weird like just were weird on tour like not like weird but you know (laughs) Freak, they're yeah. freaky. <laughs> I, I think it's <laughs> basically just apply. like people were trying to make a movement and a genre out of these people are friends with each other. Right. Yeah. Like new like, weird America. Yeah. It's kind of what they're like, going for. Because yeah, yeah, you're just associating a group of people who did a tour together and are friends. It's kind of like yeah. they were trying to make them into like the next Elephant Six. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. But like instead you could just be like, Oh yeah, Joanna Joanna Newsom was on that nervous cop album, so Hella and Joanna Newsom are the same genre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk about that actually because the the Nervous Cop album, which was one that she appeared on uh featuring Greg Saunier, John Diedrich, uh, and Zach Hill, um, that came out before she had actually recorded any of her own stuff. Yeah. Right. Like, well, then, which uh, I didn't the, realize. The, the demos for this album were recorded by Dan Elkin. Yeah. Who is also yeah. hella adjacent. Well, it's also interesting, like, her pre-solo material. It, from her from her admission, like, she never sang before Milk-Eyed Mender, really. Yeah. 
And so it was all instrumental. So she was like an instrumental like composer. She like mm-hmm. went to Mills College for music composition and um, felt very out of place because everyone there was uh, uh, making music on laptops and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And this album got recorded on entirely analog equipment. I think it was, yep. I think I read that it was two 24 track tape recorders. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. Well, that's what, uh, that's what hiring Steve Albini will do. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Steve, Steve Albini was, uh, was the one who recorded the, the vocals and heart parts for the album. And then all of the instrumentation orchestration was, uh, was Van Dyke Parks who uh, signed on, like, Joanna was seeking him out after listening to Song Cycle. Have either of you guys listened to Song Cycle? No, actually. I think I think once I have, yeah. I've literally, I've just had it on my, like, list for ages. Because it's like, oh, she was inspired by that to get his instrumentations for this album. I kind of want to hear that. Just well, like, I like, sorry. Well, and he's also, like, the co-owner of Drag City. Oh, is he? <laughs> Well, I, I like at least at the time I believe he was, yeah. Okay, that still that, be. that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and this album is mixed by Jim O'Rourke, so yeah, really yeah. just like a just that that is a ton of good talent just behind the boards without even considering Joanna herself, which obviously you should because you know she wrote the whole thing and plays on the whole thing. But yeah, yeah I like was, I heard a, a an interview that Steve Albini did, um, and he was talking about like three musicians that like really had an impact on the way he recorded. And like approached uh, the craft of being an engineer, and Joanna was one of them. And I was kind of surprised because I think they've only worked together that one time. But yeah, I guess it was that impactful. Um, and then I read, um, I think it was an interview with The Wire where Joanna was saying that. Um, so they they recorded the harp and vocals before any of the arrangements had been yeah. finalized whatsoever. And on right. top of that, she didn't record with a metronome whatsoever. I guess she doesn't believe in it. <laughs> God, that is insane. That is insane that does, considering that does some make of the. Sense. Uh, it does like, make sense. Yeah, it, it with, with the of, way some of the phrasing shifts, goes. Yeah, it kind of shifts around tempo wise quite a bit, um, but not to like any sort of deleterious effect at all. It all works. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it ever really becomes um, like distracting when she does it. It's just like it, it flows into the next section really nicely. Like I was, yeah. uh, I did my my usual. My, my pre-podcast recording listen on a walk yesterday. Um, and it never really killed my rhythm at all. Yeah. That, like, and like if, I'm, if I'm listening to, like, something with that, that's, that's doing some really aggressive tempo changes, um, I basically have to just start running or else it will... Uh, I'll, I'll throw off my walk too much because <laughs> I really start walking in rhythm when I, uh, <laughs> when I get into something. Yeah. Yeah, and, and on top of that... Um, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, so I... I never really noticed it until she said it in an interview that she didn't use a metronome. There's one part in Only Skin that I guess we can, it's not a lot to bring up, but there's one part where I, I finally like really heard it. And I was yeah. like, oh, the, the tempo is a little weird there. But um, so Van Dyke Parks took the recordings and made arrangements from those working with her. Um, but what I didn't know is that in order for him to conduct and record all of the orchestra he had to like digitally map like a metronome like oh beat tick to the songs so he had to like painstakingly <laughs> go in and do that 
Yeah. I, I really hate that this is immediately where my brain went, but that just reminds me how in um, Cats 2019, they recorded all the vocals yes, exactly. live on set and recorded yeah. the orchestration <laughs> around that. And yeah. it's, what it's, an it's, insane I mean, thing. What? How? Why? <laughs> why? And I love Cats. <laughs> This is yeah. this is just coming from me. I do love it. Um, Tom Hooper should be in prison. Meanwhile, um, <laughs> Van Dyke Parks clearly at least knew what he was doing. Yeah, because like basically what ha- what was happening on the on the set was like they were getting those vocal cuts, and he was just throwing them to the orchestrator and saying "go." Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there's there's 32 people listed in this orchestra on the page for this album. So, yeah, that's that's a whole lot of people to bring together on something that doesn't have a regular constant time signature. Yeah. So, yeah, because so clearly he went through, did the work beforehand and had it all ready to go before he actually hired the orchestra to play, um, which is what like any reasonable person would do. Um, but Tom Hooper is a criminal that be- belongs in music jail. <laughs> <laughs> Won't yeah, you I, it, come with me to music jail? I was hoping you'd go, you'd get it. <laughs> we we love to make obtuse They Might Be Giants references on this show. So yeah. everyone forgets that I had a different uh, They Might Be Giants podcast that I never update. Yep. But that's <laughs> that's that's going to be fixed pretty soon. Not by you, but by somebody no, no. else. <laughs> there will be a different They Might Be Giants podcast on Noise Space. Don't worry about it. Yes. Um, but yeah, I I mean, I guess we're, we're, we're talking all just about like the kind of whole piece here who owns the vinyl yeah. i used uh, to. i think we all own the vinyl i we got it we, we got the episode where we all own the vinyl it finally happened <laughs> no i don't i sold mine oh damn um, okay well, well you we own the vinyl it counts i did yeah. own it there's i have a funny story about that actually <laughs> so um during the pandemic um i didn't lose my job or anything but i decided to sell all my vinyl as like to make, like make more money i don't know they were just sitting there and i never used them yeah so um i listed east on discogs for i think 30 dollars because i wasn't trying to like price gouge anyone no. like i was like if people want to like buy my records i'm just gonna like try to get what i paid for back is really what yeah. i was trying to do so i listed it for yep. 30 and within like a few hours somebody messaged me and was like um, you're one of like the few people who have this listed on Discogs right now. You could probably sell it for more than thirty. Like, <laughs> who, who is like price fixing Joanna Newsom vinyl on Discogs? <laughs> there are people on Discogs and also on um, retro game stores that will literally yeah. get mad at you when you list something too low because it brings down the average sale price and brings down the amount that they can get for it. So that guy was actually he was being polite. <laughs> he was being more polite about it than they usually are, but he was literally just mad at you because you were a, a risk of bringing down the average sale price of the album for someone who holds it. But then also the average sale price was like forty, so it's like ten dollars. It's <laughs> yeah. fine. Like leave he's me probably alone. mad that people have been regularly selling it under like fifty dollars because <laughs> he's worked an for insane a company person. that was fixing vinyl prices. God damn it, Pete Buttigieg again! <laughs> <laughs> you goddamn rat! <laughs> I want to see Pete Buttigieg's uh, Discogs collection. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. But yeah, the the the. It's uh, one of those, it, it, it has the, the records stored in the outside part of the sleeve. Those are gatefolds, right? I never yeah. know names. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it has the, the booklet printed on the inside with all the lyrics, which is very nice. Very nice to have, um, which yeah. means when I'm referring to lyrics, I can actually be using the physical booklet instead of uh, Genius.com. And you do need to refer to the lyrics in this in this album. Oh my because God, so much. 
all of the songs are just words the entire way through. Well, yeah, they're they're very lyrically dense. And then there's also points where just the way that her inflection works on the words. Um, I, I like let's like the, there's one example like it's where she says clay colored motherlessness, and I just yeah. I heard clay colored mother motherlessness. Like, it, yeah. like, it, like you, you'll you'll break the words in different spots because of the way she pauses, and it's very yeah. good to have the uh, the lyrics in front of you for for things like that. Well, I mean, I don't think normal people understand what hydrocephalitic listlessness implies. I also heard so. that as hydrocephalitic. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was thinking disease instead of brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, this album, uh, the Pitchfork review, we should talk about. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a good review. Um, not just a good score, but it's well written in my opinion. Um, it got a nine point four. Um, so obviously very good. Got best new music. Um, and uh, the person who wrote it, Chris Dolan, uh, addresses um kind of the common criticisms of Joanna Newsom at the time, which was. A, she's overly wordy, and B, her voice sounds kind of unconventional. Yeah. Um, and just kind of says, you know, that's actually not something that detracts from any from anything, and maybe no, no. even enhances en- enhances it. Every, every point where her voice like like kind of squeaks or goes off key a little bit on this album is like yeah. there for a reason. It's all very very. It's like. It's all emotion. I mean, the whole album is emotion. I like. I've always talked about on this uh, on this podcast how like I'm kind of shit at like hearing lyrics most of the time, remembering lyrics all of the time, and interpreting lyrics like the vast majority of the time. <laughs> so like, yeah. And for something like this, even to really really grab me, despite the fact that I know at best like a couple of phrases on most of the album, um, it's it's just because it's such an effective mood piece. I, mm-hmm. I had a really stupid anecdote about this. Um, I would listen to it just like while reading books sometimes because it would just it would put me in an I, I could just like kind of tune out the lyrics, use them as instrument and like just read something. And I had been invited to join a Joanna Newsom fan blog on Tumblr. And I posted about reading a book while listening to it. And the other mods found that so offensive that they removed <laughs> me from the blog. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like I was literally I was literally reading The Hobbit. Yeah, Yeah. very funny. (laughs) I can see why someone might take offense to that. I get it, but it's still very funny. I part of this like I guess like image of Joanna Newsom as sort of like Baroque or Renaissance or even medieval, um, and why people. Well, it's just interesting that people reject it so strongly because I don't. I think they don't want to be seen as nerds, but they are incredibly nerdy. Oh, yeah. No, oh, yeah. It, this is fucking nerd music, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's also like the... I mean, we can dip into the cover art for a second. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. Because It's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. It it definitely does not help anyone trying no. to fight the nerd <laughs> image off. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, so by, uh, it was, Benjamin Veerling. Yep, Benjamin Veerling. Um, I think it's Egg Tempera, which is like a medieval renaissance like paint style that uses like egg yolk or white to yeah like paint it's very very odd and archaic kind of way it's very glistening yeah Mm -hmm. it's very yeah it's hard to describe how it looks (laughs) everything has a lot of like a lot of really good texture to it and like just like everything kind of looks physically like looks physically the way it it should be like it's a picture it's it's really it's really gorgeous yeah. It's kind of like a um 
like one of those really like um, intricately illustrated like children's storybooks. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, like like one for the parent to point all over the page and you know show the kids the like you maybe you didn't notice this detail of the picture. Yeah, or, or like an I Spy painting. Yeah, or I guess yeah. those are all pictures. Yeah, uh, I love the crow with a little cherry in his mouth. He's always been my favorite part of the cover. He's just such a little guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so she's she's holding a sickle and is holding like a framed moth. And then there's the crow and a flower crown and like braids in her hair. And then like this weird like belt cotton shirt with like over shirt thing. Um, so it does have a very like medieval renaissance kind of vibe to it, which is funny because she was saying that this outfit that she was wearing for it is like an outfit that she actually owns and she would just wear that casually. <laughs> funnier Not helping too, her case at all. Yeah. Funnier too is that she, I guess, so it wasn't like a dress because on this painting it looks like a dress, but apparently it's just like the top. And when she went to the like, because she's friends with the painter, so she went to like sit for it. And she, I guess she was wearing jeans or like wanted jeans in it. She was okay. just, like casually wearing jeans, and he was like, "That would be too weird." <laughs> but Why? it's also Why would funny. It be weird. This is just my clothes. <laughs> it's also funny that um, she says that a lot of people, maybe, well, no, she points out like that this painting isn't necessarily like old timey because if you notice in the background of the sky, that's supposed to be an airplane trail. Yeah. So it's like this weird like anachronistic but not really sort of painting where it's like i guess in her mind the painting is supposed to like represent the present but i think to the average person it definitely looks older than that yeah for sure (laughs) but she's she's just so not a uh contemporary minded person yeah that it came it came out the opposite of that well yeah that's that's not even like a it's not even like a knock on her or anything. She's, you know, she's kind of weird. That's fine and perfectly normal. It, it is kind of weird how people will extrapolate the image, like presented yeah. on this album cover and other album covers and other work of hers to like, you know, have her as like some kind of fairy princess. Cause you know, mm-hmm. like she's, yeah. she's, she's literally just talking about her own experiences, like cloaked in like a layer or two of metaphor. That's like the whole thing. She, she just, she, she, she weaved a story on top of her, her own life. Right. Yeah. And like that's a perfectly normal thing to do. But people are so fucking weird about it. Especially well, when she started dating Andy Samberg. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. also she doesn't really use the internet, so maybe that's not helping her case either. No. Right. I mean no one and, should. No one should ever be online. Right. Yeah, and uh looking at her background, like she grew up with um professional musician parents who didn't allow her to watch TV or listen to the radio. So that probably also contributes to some of that. Yeah, I can see that. I, I can see that changing you a little bit. Yeah. All right. So should um, we like actually start? I wanted to <laughs> before we start. I wanted to just read the Rolling Stone review in in oh, its entirety. Good, 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 good. <laughs> it's one paragraph. It was written by Christian Horde and posted October twelfth, two thousand six. Newsom is a classically trained harpist and singer who made a very good 2004 record, but this EP is hard to stomach. Five tracks, four of them more than nine minutes, and one, Only Skin, 16+, with meandering strings and things accompaniment and indulgent vocal quirks that make Bjork sound like Kelly Clarkson. (laughs) 
I God, there's how... a, there's a, there's I, I when I was trying to find the review so I could read along with you, I found that they they literally have a different article on Rolling Stone that was like a live review, which was like yeah. it was really good. <laughs> they have guy, uh, guy who has only they, heard Bjork voice getting a lot of Bjork vibes from this. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, m- maybe the truth lies somewhere in between Pitchfork's love letter and Rolling Stone's own heavy critique. Like, fuck off. <laughs> you don't have to be a centrist about Joanna Newsom. <laughs> no. Uh, I also wanted to note that on the uh, the Pitchfork top albums of 2006, it ended up at number three. Uh, it was uh, behind Return to Cookie Mountain by TV on the radio and Silent Shout by The Knife. Which, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I can see year. us covering both of those eventually. Those are <laughs> those are both yeah. very good albums. Oh, one thing that we maybe forgot to note is not important, but uh, Joanna is the second cousin twice removed to current California Governor Gavin Newsom. I did know this. I did know this. <laughs> Gavin Newsom, retire, bitch. <laughs> Here, I'm just going to do a little ASMR can opening for everyone. Uh, I'm drinking a <laughs> impeachment cider. It's apples and peaches. Nice. I, I'm, I'm, out of, I'm out of fizzy alcohol right now entirely. No, but you need it for podcasting. I do. I'll have to get some for the next time. <laughs> but yeah, like this is this is gonna be a weird one. The the way we normally uh, break this down, I don't know how you're gonna do it, Dave. <laughs> um, but as, yeah. as as was stated in the the Rolling Stone review, this is a five track album that is 55 yeah. minutes long. They called it an EP, which means that they weren't really paying attention. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. absolutely not. Um, and um, when you when you listen to it on the vinyl, it's one track per side, except for uh, side two, which has two tracks. <laughs> all right, let's start with Emily. The lines are fading in my kingdom Though I have never known a way to board a young man So the muddy mouths of baboons and sows in the grouse and the horse in the hand Rope at the gate of the so the very first sound you hear is Joanna's voice, um, which is mixed very low at first, um, and you kind of don't have any idea what you're about to get into at first. <laughs> oh. um, then the, the harp comes in basically right away. Yeah, this one's so first... nice. This is such a beautiful song. Yeah. The first line is funny to me because um, I think it was like a fan Q&A like, moment at one of her shows while she was like tuning her harp. Someone shouted, like, what's a gym tree? And she was like, I just made that up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how it's spelt out on the lyric sheet as if like you're sounding it out. Yeah. Like the chim hyphen chew hyphen re. Just so you know. Just so you know how to say it. I just always thought of that one song from Mary Poppins at that point. Um, that the chimney sweeps sing. The chim chimney chim chim chiree. Oh, I didn't think of that. So I wouldn't it be might be related that to that. Like. Yeah, just like a like a subconscious reference or something. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. So obviously we can't uh, go through and do a close reading of all of the lyrics on this album because that would take, like, that's like a college course right there. Just Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just the poetics of yeah. these. <laughs> I, I, I literally just have the booklet open on my lap right now and just Emily's lyrics are a full page. And this is like, you know, the size of a record. So... Yeah, this it's is a, a pretty 12 big minute page. song, I believe. Yeah. And 12 minutes, 7 seconds. I guess yep. we can sort of the overarching theme is that um I mean she's admitted to it that this song is about her sister Emily, mm-hmm. um, yeah. who is an astrophysicist. 
Um, and I guess and also does backing vocals on this song. Yeah, and uh, Joanna has said that they're kind of maybe not like opposites, but they're kind of into like different things. Like her sister's an astrophysicist, and I think lived lived in Argentina at the time of this coming out or something. Yeah, so it, it said and, that she'd been like in Argentina and like New Zealand. I imagine you just kind of go anywhere where the big telescopes are, <laughs> um, which is a couple of different places now. Yeah. And then Joanna's like kind of the opposite. She's kind of like a homebody and also does not do math or science stuff. <laughs> <laughs> which, uh, which, yeah, that does come out in like the, the chorus of the song where she manages to fuck up the varying descriptions of a meteor, meteorite, and a meteoroid. Yeah. There's we're we're going to be debate. all Neil deGrasse Tyson about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's been a lot of album. debate. There's been a lot of debate on if that was intentional or if she mm-hmm. really did just like make a mistake. Um, I mean, for my reading, it kind of does seem intentional. Yeah, no, no. I, I feel like both reads work. It's 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 like the fact that her, her sister told her this and that she were to translate it into verse. It's like more like the transference of that meaning and knowledge that's important than the actual knowledge itself. Yeah. Like, because that's like the central point of the song. Like she drives it in right at the start. And then like after the events of the, the kind of story that they go through on the song comes out, then she, you know, says it up a key. Which, that part fucking kills me every time. I'm just, like, literally, like, full-body goosebumps when she comes back in with the meteorites. Yeah, the the big return is... Oh my god, fucking rules. <laughs> um, so I'll just, I just want to read that real, the I guess, chorus. It's not really a chorus, yeah. but... Um, that the meteorite is the source of the light, and the meteor's just what we see, and the meteoroid is a stone that's devoid of the fire that propelled it to thee. Side note, people always quote her using the word the throughout the album this is the only time she uses that word (laughs) (laughs) just like the nerd in me um i mean the and then the second part of the course is like the same thing but different but yeah so the same words but with different uh similes on it yeah Yeah. so i mean just for those listening so this is incorrect don't take it as science because it's wrong (laughs) (laughs) so the meteorite is actually the leftover rock on earth if it doesn't get burned up in the atmosphere. The meteor is the perception of light, so that one is right, and the meteoroid is the object as it exists in space. Um, so it's the exact same thing as an asteroid, but just meteoroid. Um, so basically, she just mixes up meteoroid... Me- uh, she mixes up meteorite and meteoroid. Um, yeah. So basically... Which is perfectly understandable because if you're putting if you're putting it to verse specifically to remember it, those two words have the same number of syllables and sound the same. So you could easily just mix them up in your recollection. Yeah. Which, yeah, I guess, I, I don't know if that's the point, but it's a perfectly good reading of it. I, I noticed one thing when I was, uh, I was actually looking at the genius comments, which like, you know, usually not worth doing. Um, and there are some particularly bad ones for this album. Uh, because uh, Joanna Newsom fans can be really weird about it, um, but there was it was one interpretation of the part where uh, Emily, I saw you last night by the river. I dreamed you were skipping little stones across the surface of the water, frowning at the angle where they were lost, slipped under forever in a mud cloud. Micah spangled like the sky had been breathing on a mirror. So it's like her sister's focusing on the angles and the physics of it. And she's focusing on just like the, the poetic nature of the stone falling under the water. And I thought that was like, like just that, that interpretation of it is such a good like interpretation of their dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. 
it's also um, interesting to uh, kind of overarching themes of water and like drowning on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's everywhere. Um, and I guess I, I don't know if you guys had read on this, but like <laughs> Joanna did this really weird thing when she was like either like in her late teens or like early. Oh, 20s, I didn't know about this. Yes. I know. She just say. like sat at a river for like three days <laughs> to like have eating some sort nothing of, like, but plain rice. Yeah, like to have some sort of like experience. And yeah. I, rereading this, I thought it was the same event, but it might be different, two different events. Um, but there's one where she's like at a river doing, have, trying to have this experience. And then like these wolves start running at her. Oh my God. Um, and she was like, oh, I'm going to die. And apparently the, <laughs> the land, like she was like staying on like a friend's land. They had domesticated wolves. And so they just like ran up to her and like started licking her face. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know if this, that was the same this, same event, but <laughs> this whole story is like the more um, I, I guess I could say maybe less cringe even version, version. of Grimm's, Grimes going down the river with chickens. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I knew exactly where you were going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh um, Grimes, you give us so yeah. much content for the show. <laughs> so god, yeah. So like the theme of waters, like a big part in this song, but then also throughout the album. And I read that. So Joanna had, so I guess maybe we should have started by explaining what East is mm-hmm. and what that word is means. Um, so it's essentially like some sort of like myth about some city off the coast of Brittany that something about like a King and his daughter and the daughter was sinful. And then, the, the city flooded and is like underwater. Yeah. It was consumed um, by the ocean. What's interesting is that Joanna has said that she didn't know about this before writing this album. And the album mm-hmm. was completely written before finding this word. And she was having dreams where she keep, she kept seeing the letters Y and S like floating. And she wanted to like have a one syllable title for the record that had both of these letters and she was like, well, the word yes, that seems weird. The word say, which also seems weird. What and if then, we ended up in the universe where Joanna Newsom called this album Yass? <laughs> <laughs> the yassification of Joanna Newsom. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, I mean, considering that, um, I, I wrote a joke um, in my notes that uh, considering how much she got into designer fashion, she was probably just dreaming about YSL and forgot the L. It's Saint Laurent, <laughs> if you don't know. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, before we post the episode, I am going to put the cover of this album through the yassification filter. Yeah, um, and so <laughs> David sure can post it on the it. Twitter. I'm sure someone someone's probably already done it. done it, but I want to do it myself, and then it's going <laughs> to get posted on our Twitter. You'll end up with a perfectly smooth Joanna. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's kind of yeah. crazy that she had no idea really of this sort of like myth or like story, and she was also reading. She said she was reading some sort of like novel where it was talking about East, and it literally contained the phrase um, "It is that damnable bell," which is a lyric that appears in Sawdust and Diamonds. Mm-hmm. And she'd written this before ever reading this book too, so a lot of like eerie coincidences. That's yeah, kind of nutty. <laughs> And I guess like the the main text of this song is uh, I guess if we're if we're digging into the personal experience behind it, it does just seem to be about a miscarriage, huh? Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. 
I mean, I kind of that it got brought up all the time as like the interpretation for this song and other songs like uh, Baby Birch on Have One On Me. Mm -hmm. And at first I was kind of, I didn't want to necessarily not want to believe it, but just kind of like, I I felt like it was a small reading of it. It, Um, It just almost just seems like weird to talk about it. Right. Cause it's like, I mean, like all the, all the points of this uh, on this album are like stories from her life on which she has, you know, Put a couple of layers of obfuscation. Although she really does just, you know, like, she straight up just says midwife on this one. Yeah. And, like, it's it's not like it's exactly hidden. But, uh, yeah, it does just seem, like, because it's, it's using the trauma of it as, like, a, a, a focal point in the relationship with her sister. So it's, like, it's not even, like, the point of the song, necessarily. It's just the thing that happened that spurred the events of the song. Yeah, and I mean revisiting it and taking that interpretation into account there are now like smaller lines that come to me and i'm like oh i see how this fits like you came and lay a cold compress upon the mess i'm in through through the windows wide and cried amen 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 yeah i can see like the cold clay colored motherlessness which is an impossible line to say so the fact that she (laughs) does it without stumbling is uh is astounding that's why you. That's why you hear Steve Albini uh, yelling "Holy shit!" in the background. <laughs> God, <sighs> one take, on that, baby. <laughs> on that, um, uh, apparently to get into the mood, um, Joanna like lit a bunch of candles in the studio, and so it was like very dark, so that she could like concentrate on like the performance. Because I think it was all one take, if not close to that. That's yeah. fucking insane. Like, that's just literally insane. Because, like, like, knowing the way that Steve Albini generally does his recording sessions, like, he was at most just moving some mics around, right? Like, right. He, he just, like, you know, placed a couple of mics in the studio and just hit play. Like, well, that's I mean, if crazy. That's, if that's the recording philosophy, then I, it's no wonder that she probably chose to work with him. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's because well, that's, like, I, I think we've, we've probably even... Have we even discussed a Steve Albini album on this podcast yet? I feel like we haven't. No, we've we've talked about him a lot, but I don't think he we've just talked about up. one of his albums. Yeah, we, we we got we have to cover Cloud Nothings at some point, just so we could bring him up playing Facebook Scrabble another time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like he just uh, his his philosophy is more you know he wants to record people as they wish to be recorded, right? So he's not yeah. um, he's not very hands on in direction, and that's why he will call himself an engineer more than he'll call himself a producer, even though he is filling like similar roles in the studio. But yeah, yeah, like it's. Uh, I mean, he did a good job. <laughs> Just yeah, definitely. Like, like, especially like if you any parts of the album um, where you're hearing just her and the harp, everything is so clear. Um, when I was listening to it on my walk yesterday, I was listening to the the flack from the Drag City bag, Band Camp, um, and like you just like just like the the dynamics of it are incredible for what is like, you know, probably a couple of tracks of recording, but still like recording one thing at one time. Mm -hmm. Like it it does very well for itself. And of course, like, yeah, the vinyl sounds just clean as hell too. It's a very good pressing. Um, I'm sorry. Your Canadian popped out so much when you said drag city. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Drag. It it pops up a lot and I never notice, of course. Um, But yeah. Um, I guess that's yeah. most of what I have to say about Emily specifically, but I mean, we're going to keep talking about the recording over over uh, over the course yeah. of it. We ready to move on to Monkey and Bear? Yeah. And with this eye, she allowed the burden of belly to drop like an apron full of boulders. If you could hold up a thread bear, 
light where it's worn trains loosened in places You just got where almost every night of the year They're demanding suspending that faceless Now a cook drags through the water Bagging with a life's worth of hanging through the limitless minnows Alright, so with Monkey and Bear, um, the way that I read it, and I think that most people read it, um, is first at face value, you know, it's a kind of adaptation and expansion of the story of Ursa Major, um, you know, the, mm-hmm. the constellation, um, and the story follows this monkey and bear who have escaped from captivity, and then the monkey tricks the bear into, like, returning to servitude just for him instead yeah it seems like very much like kind of a a textbook abusive relationship yeah and uh another one where it's just like man getting into the specifics of it just seems like weird to do (laughs) yeah 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 it definitely feels the most allegorical uh like Mm -hmm. shielding some sort of like deeper story um but it is it is pretty yeah like my interpretation is pretty face value as where as well that it's like a story of conditional love, which is mm. always really hard mm-hmm. to bear. <laughs> Pun intended. Yeah. Yeah, and well, yeah, like when the part where it's uh, Ursula's heartbeat faster than monkeys ever will always really kills me. That one really, especially when you consider that like a as a smaller being, the monkey's heart would naturally beat faster than the bear's. So that's really saying something. Mm-hmm. Not to get into the science of it or anything. Not to get Neil deGrasse Tyson in here as a guest. Not to get any any more Neil deGrasse Tyson on here. <laughs> Let me find the line. BB-8 <laughs> would not be able to roll on sand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ball droid. I gotta roll on out of here. God, uh, fucking uh, darling, come on, will you dance, my darling? Keep your eyes fixed on the highest hill where you will ever after eat your fill. Like you know, yeah. just uh, you know, pushing that 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 theoretical future where you'll be free from this and we'll we'll live together in happiness is like the classic. You know, it's a it's a very just like leading it on by promising better things in the future, and that yeah. one really that one really really strikes me as like kind of a it's kind of it feels dark. Like that's just like it reads so true about certain kinds of relationships that kind of hurts to read. Can you bear a little longer to wear that leash? Ugh, just brutal the fun little song about the monkey and the bear and then she decides to fucking stab you yeah i think this is my favorite joanna newsom song definitely really on this good. album but maybe of all of them yeah van dyke parks really put his whole pussy into the uh, flute arrangements on this one <laughs> yeah like just went all out the woodwinds sound amazing on this one it's like it, he he really um I guess he really like kind of earns his keep on this one. It's just like I, I can see why the instrumentation is really necessary here, um, especially when he starts getting into like the big drums later in the track, like kind of like the timpanis and cymbals and stuff that are going on through the the closing parts of the song. Yeah, I mean the yeah. closing section is just so like wow. It like the mm-hmm. way that it just it feels like it's melting. Is yeah, like, but without like <laughs> well, yeah, it feels like it's melting as they like describe the bear's body physically falling apart after drowning in the ocean but it's like it's not Mm -hmm. like super literal or like cheesy at all like it's so it sounds so like i don't know not like sinister but like no otherworldly but like very very dark yeah well it's like it's talking about the bear like you know dying becoming the constellation uh like physically you hold up a, a threadbare coat to the light you could see a bear there 
Um, and you know, it talks about the like the the way that the the bear's body parts slough off of uh, off of her are like a form of relief, which is like you know. Oh, I mean, just like line, it's, it's the line she allowed the burden of belly to drop like an apron full of boulders. Full is of boulders. so good. Fuck <laughs> me. Yeah, no, that one always gets me. That's that's one. Like, as I say, like I, I I remember scant lines throughout things because like I'm I mean I'm a lyric idiot. Um, but that one always like right there. I got it. That one's there. That one's that one's lodged itself in the back of my brain for the rest of my life, probably. But you can really you can really feel like it feels like a like a cartoon picnic where they they put down the the picnic bundle and like let it go and all the all the food kind of tumbles out of it and you can really feel the weight of it coming down. Yeah. And yeah, to to think of that like as relief is like clearly uh, clearly something's going on there, Joanna. <laughs> Damn, Joanna. I mean, that entire last section just like has the best words by a long shot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the last uh, the last couple of stanzas. In the magnetic embrace, balletic and glacial of Baird's insatiable shadow. Is this like, like oh, now her image... coat drags? Now her coat drags through the water, bagging with a life's worth of hunger, limitless meadows, and that, that's where she starts putting on the uh, the background vocals where she's singing like a high falsetto, <clears throat> yeah. and it sounds really really spooky. It's I love just, that. Yeah, <laughs> it's so crazy that like all of these images that she like creates through these words are like like so decadent mm-hmm. but at the same time even like metrically they're just fun to say and like they're almost mm-hmm. like tongue twisters in a strange way which That's, makes like, so the limited done. number of takes even more impressive yeah yeah um one of the songs as a side note one of the songs from the milk-eyed mender was used in the horror movie the strangers as part of the soundtrack oh. Yes. Um, in 2008, uh, which kind of like used the fact that her voice is kind of eerie and otherworldly to kind of help establish the atmosphere of that shot, um, which like it's not a great movie, but I felt like it b- built up the atmosphere pretty well. Um, yeah, I could see that. I saw working. it when I was in college. I think I watched that and, and I just thought it was like way too ham-fisted that moment specifically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get it. The uh, the pairing of like halfway through the song, sooner or later you'll bury your teeth. Uh, with the final line of the song, sooner or later you'll bury your teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's very much a only in the lyric booklet one for me because I always just thought it was the same line repeated. I never caught the second syllable, mm-hmm. and she kind of she kind of slurs it in there. It's very subtle, or at least I find it subtle every time I listen to it because I try to listen for it and I only kind of hear it. Yeah, but, I think uh, I think that's kind of on purpose, especially yeah, because. Yeah, yeah. Especially because it is immediately following the line when bear stepped clear of bear, and then the the syllable bear is inside the word bury. Yeah, yeah. It sure says funny. bear a lot on this one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny how um, a lot of interviews that she was doing at the time, people were bringing up how many words there were, and she kept defending herself, saying like, "This is the minimal amount of words I had to use to get the point across." Yeah. Yeah, no, um, I, I, I really don't feel like there's any wasted lines on this whole album. Like, there, nothing feels like filler. Everything feels like it's driving yeah. a point or an emotion, like, really thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Like, at worst, you could accuse her of using too many, like, fucking SAT words. But, like, <laughs> come on. Yeah, she, 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 she obviously is... She's obviously a person who is, uh, like, really interested in doing um, more 
like like more research than most people would think is necessary for for her music. But yeah, like it's not like I, I don't think she was like sitting there with a thesaurus or anything. Yeah. Like she she wasn't like trying to sound smart by using different words like balletic or insatiable or murdering. Yeah. <laughs> the We're not there yet. form though. of murdering. <laughs> but that's no, the next song. Yeah, I don't really have that much more to say about Monkey and Bear. I mean, I I think that it is pretty straightforward. It is just kind of mm-hmm. um amazing how like just like small details really paint the picture incredibly well. Um it's kind of like the like I don't know what the word would be, but it's like I guess goalpost moving um it, like in a relationship where um yeah. So it was like monkey would throw or like bear would throw a stone and they, they, that's where they would mark where they stop for tea. And then, but they ended up moving way past that and just like this sort of, um, yeah, manipulative um, relationship. Yeah, like control uh, to a point where it's like constantly promising the relinquishing of that control while, you know, tightening the grip. Well, it's also (laughs) an interesting like angle to the story as well is that like a bear could absolutely destroy a monkey. Yeah, when you think about it. So it's like, it's also like a weird like like i don't know like strength of the bear but like not realizing it until like being removed from the situation yeah you have to pick two to defend you and the other seven will attack you obviously you're going with the three bears and ten thousand rats the fuck you gonna do with that um speaking of uh speaking of bears completely tangentially there really was a lot of bear imagery in indie music in general in the late 2000s huh yeah it was kind of all over the place huh yeah like you had you had artists with with the name bear all over the place um like bear in heaven panda bear grizzly bear bear hands and uh and yeah i am i'm sure that this was not intentional on joanna's part to contribute to uh to that um but it's just an interesting thing to note all right, should we move on to the next song? Yeah. Yeah. Next we got Sawdust and Diamonds. Joanna Newsom goes to the Save by the Bell reunion, and where and there she saw Dustin Diamond. <laughs> that that was what I heard the first time that I listened to this, and I wasn't yeah. I wasn't paying attention to the song titles. Um, and that's the only time that the phrase "saw Dustin Diamonds" is used in the lyrics. And so I, I heard "Hold me close," cooed the dove who was stuffed. Now we saw Dustin Diamond. <laughs> I, I'm like, I will never not think about that because that's one of the first things that I heard anyone say about this song was that you saw Dustin <laughs> Diamond. Yeah. Um, this one has the really, like, really beautiful, like, looping uh, and building harp part throughout this song. Yeah, yeah polyrhythmic. It is, it is yeah. fucking nutty. Yeah. <laughs> Just that by its. Well, this is also like, I feel like this one is mostly her and harp, right? Like, I feel like. It's entirely. Yeah. There's no. It's entirely. There's no overdubs on this one. Okay. Yeah. So. So apparently, um, Joanna had written Sawdust and Diamonds and Cosmia before she had gotten into her head that there were going to have to be arrangements on the record. 
at like she didn't know what they were going to sound like or who was going to do it while she was writing but she just like kind of had in the back of her head like oh there's going to be like orchestra on these songs um so her and van dyke parks tried to make an arrangement for this song um apparently it just never really worked so she scrapped it but she felt okay with that because this was one of the songs she had completed before even like considering there would be other orchestration um I can't imagine this song with any other orchestration. I think it'd be like too crowded, and well, you'd be covering up the insane harp arpeggio that plays throughout well, the whole thing. Like it's, yeah, yeah, that and like the emotional vulnerability of yeah, it just mm-hmm. it would be so wrong. It's it, yeah, it's a really intimate song, um, which uh, the genius annotations strongly seem to suggest that it's about dealing with. Um, the grief of child loss and the kind of vulnerability of motherhood. Yeah. I could, I could definitely see that in the lyrics. It's yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, it kind of comes back to me from a lyric that she would later write for divers. Um, that's tell me why is the pain of birth lighter born than the pain of death? Mm-hmm. Um, it honestly, this song kind of in a way seems to me to be that line, but like an entire world within that stanza, even though it was written after the fact. But um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like taking that stanza and making an entire like 10 almost 10 minute song on that theme. There's the there's the comparison to um, the relationships being comp- uh, being a sandcastle being taken away by a wave, not just a wave, a gibbering wave. A gibbering wave, yes. <laughs> What's the deal with the bell at the start? That's the part that I always like. I, I, I don't know where you're going with this, Joanna. It, it's, it never really registers in my head. It's like, oh, that's just the start of Sawdust and Diamonds. Yeah. Uh, you mean that there's a bell in my ears? The line? No, it's like, well, drop a bell down the stairs. Oh. Uh, drop a bell in the water. Drop a bell off the dock. Well, Genius seems to think it's a reference to Hemingway. Okay, well, for I, whom the I'm, bell not tolls. Well, I'm not well read, so I would never get that. Well, and uh, it doesn't have very many upvotes, but <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that in the same Q&A that I brought up earlier, fan Q&A, like while she was tuning, uh, yeah. someone asked what her favorite author was, and I'm pretty sure she said Hemingway. Yeah, that would all track. This that's just the kind of shit that I'm not going to get because I'm a dumb dumb. but yeah, again, it's okay. Lyrics aren't as important to me as vibes. Uh <laughs> I, I I am the dumb dumb of the podcast for a reason. I am here for vibes and vibes alone. <laughs> uh, this yeah, this song just in general seems less um, immediately like narrative than the first two tracks. Yeah. Um, like there's a story that's being told um, like separately from separately from like what the what the track may have actually been describing in her real life. Um, there's like an actual story and narrative being put on top of that. While this one is more just kind of, uh, imagery that flows into each other. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, like half the stanzas end with her talking about her desire. Also, <laughs> it's like, uh, mm-hmm. I really love the wording on some of the, on these lines, push me back into a tree, bind my buttons with salt, fill my long ears with bees praying, please, please, please love you ought not. No, you ought not. I love the way she sings that one too. I'm not even gonna try yeah. to imitate it. <laughs> <laughs> you really can't. Like I, I sometimes will like to do like little slight sing alongs to be like, oh, this part, this part, I like this part. And it's just like I'm not even gonna fucking try with this one. Not a chance. 
I wasn't born of a whistle or milked from a thistle at twilight. No, I was all horns and thorns, sprung out fully formed, knock-kneed and upright. What a stanza. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So enough of this terror, we deserve to know light and grow ever more lighter and lighter. You would have seen me through, but I could not undo that desire. I think the lyric sheet doesn't have the O desires on it. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's kind of unnecessary to write, I think. When it's emoted. Genius likes to do the thing where it um, it's contains an, it's an every, exact transcription. Yeah, yeah, every repetition of everything. I I understand that from the perspective of genius, and I understand um, not having it on a lyric sheet which has a limited amount of physical space. Yeah. Oh, it's funny we bring up genius when there's an entire website just dedicated to Joanna Newsom's lyrics. Is there <laughs> JoannaNewsomLyrics.com? I believe. <laughs> Well, I am sure I'm typing that in right yeah, now. Yeah, lyrics.com, all official. And then, so there's the official, and then there's the as heard. So they were already on top of it well before Genius, because this site is, like, really old. I fucking love it. God, Joanna Newsom fans are so nerdy. I mean, I'm one of them. <laughs> this has all of the hallmarks of, like, a 2006, 2007 website. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, looks, it looks like how Twitter used to look. I mean, every website should look like this. <laughs> this is how websites were meant to look. A column yeah. that fills roughly two-thirds of the space directly in the center, nothing on the sides, and white, a black text on a white background. It's perfect. Every Times website New should Roman. look like this. Times New Roman <laughs> font. Times New Don't Roman. forget. Times New Roman font. Beautiful. <laughs> love <Yeah>. it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I really do love the the official verses as her as sung. Yeah. I would really love that for Animal Collective lyrics where they're clearly <laughs> just not singing the things written in the lyric book. Like, you just, like, yeah, no. there's no fucking way you can interpret it as that. <laughs> yeah, especially not on the Strawberry Jam. Strawberry Jam is the worst for it. God damn it. <laughs> Pissed off all over again. Don't you lie to me and tell me that's what you're saying, A.V. Tear. I'll fight you. Oh, speaking of Animal Collective, um, so that new album came out. I haven't heard it yet. Um, but someone quoted them... Uh, saying something about Joanna, actually. Really? Saying something about how they wanted their music to sound like American, but not obviously American, or something like that. And they get, like said Joanna's new Joanna's music sounds like folksy and like American, but like not in a very typical way, but one that you wouldn't ever mistake for being of any other nationality. Right. Yeah. Something you like did, that. That that makes sense. I mean, I don't see why you'd want to identify with America, but, you know. <laughs> it's change, American change, It's American bliss. music without being country music. Well, even more so, I would identify most of, if not all, Joanna's music as, like, specifically Californian. Sure, yeah. I mean, that wasn't, there, wasn't there a whole thing that was calling it, like, Appalachian folk music for a while? Like, that was the whole, the, the way that they described her singing style was, was, was specifically Appalachian. Well, she does take inspiration from those some of those singers, so yeah. I guess I can see that. But also, it's kind of like the Midwest emo as a genre when people on the East Coast <laughs> are writing Midwest emo, as what as so they say. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I understand. Well, yeah, regionalism's also just you know they completely collapse in an age where the internet exists. Well, not completely, but like mostly. Yeah, I feel like it's like it's less. I mean, I, I like regional scenes obviously still exist, although, you know, not as much right now where concerts are bad uh, because of, you know, the, the whole lingering pandemic and everything. But um, in, in, an, in an era where people can communicate and 
well, I mean, like, we're recording a podcast in two different countries and three different regionals otherwise. And over um, two time over two time zones, like I think just two regions. Yeah, we're in the same. We're me and you are in the same time zone at least. Well, but then we're we're both in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Eh? I guess I don't know. It depends. Well, yeah, we. This is a tangent, but people <laughs> can define the Midwest very differently. Um, yeah, and I say there are actually two Midwests. One is if you're bordering a um, Great Lake, and the other is if you are a Plains state. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, but we would technically both be uh, Great Lakes states, so. Well, I, I'm in I'm in very much a Great Lakes province, so. Right, that too, yeah. <laughs> and I just live on the, further just on the north other than side. you do. Yeah, David is further north than me. <laughs> oh, Canada. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't have much more to say about Sawdust and Diamonds. Um, it's it's such a heavily like metaphorical song in the way that like the lyrics are written out. It's just like nothing we can say about it is gonna match the experience of just listening to them. I mean that's true anyway, but you know we're podcasters. We have to talk about shit that we shouldn't need to talk about. That's- oh, <laughs> I actually have something else to say about it. Um, Fuck yeah! Uh, so it seems like of all the songs that Joanna performs regularly uh, for in concert. Uh, this is the one where she forgets the lyrics the most. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I'm just that. imagining being the guy in the audience with the lyric booklet open, just like yelling shit out. I, I don't remember which <laughs> festival, but there's video of it where she just like forgets like almost all of this, like not all of it, but you know, a lot of the song. She keeps like forgetting things. Um, oh, <laughs> and she's just like it's it's so endearing and funny because the audience is obviously like there for it, like they're like. Yeah they're not like mad or anything uh no no but it's just so funny and then i think when i saw her at pitchfork she also messed up one of the lyrics to this song too (laughs) so it seems like the wordiness of this song for some reason she can't remember it as well as the other ones i don't know (laughs) it it feels like there's a lot less um like there is an overarching story in the song but there is less like connective tissue between the different stanzas yeah i can see how you can get lost in it like you can you could finish each individual stanza itself um but like you know knowing the next one isn't quite as easy as if it was like a straightforward narrative yeah so in this one video it's really funny because she forgets like the end of like a verse and then she just picks back up and goes like and then the slow loop of fire moves across the prairie with precision while somewhere with your pliers and glue you make your first incision and in a moment of almost unbearable vision she forgets the words and then she like screams (laughs) (laughs) David, I need just, you to find this clip. I need that I clip can, in here. I can find it. I can find yeah, it. Yeah, you should send that to me. <laughs> we absolutely need that clip in here. There's uh, That reminds me of a, a recording, an old recording of Colin, Colin Malloy from the Decemberists trying to sing The King of Carrot Flowers Part 1 by Neutral Milk Hotel and getting to the second line of it and going, your mom would something, something, shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see Born Ruffians, I try to get them to play a song from their first EP, um, which is like my favorite song of theirs. And the one time they did it, they forgot most of the words and also forgot the second verse. They're just like, yeah, we haven't played that song in so long, man. And I'm like, I, I, I get it. Thank you for trying. Yeah. You always have to appreciate bands that make an effort to play something they don't know. Yeah. Which is why, like... I'm always consistently amazed that they might be giants knowledge of their own catalog that they can pull yeah. out some of the most insane deep cuts at like every concert. They are madmen. 
I, I have seen John Linnell reading the lyrics off of an iPhone for uh, Marty Beller mask uh, when that song was new. <laughs> oh my god! All right, <laughs> we we got to move on to the the long the long one on this album. Yes, next and, uh, one. Lo- the long one in the lo- in the album of long ones. Yeah, next one is only skin. This one is uh, almost 17 minutes. Yeah, really, really making use of uh, having its own side on the record at 33 in a third speed. Yeah, <laughs> really, really filling that room. Whereas, like you know, the 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 D side is just Cosmia by itself, and like half the the side is just blank. Mm-hmm. So Joanna has said that this song um, isn't exactly about an event itself, but. Um, if the four other tracks on the album are mirroring actual events of her life, that this one was uh, an attempt to connect them all together. Okay. I could kind of see, I could kind of see that with the way that, uh, that the song is laid out. Yeah. Um, just a lot of, a lot of connections to the other songs that, uh, that kind of show up within it. It kind of follows a similar track, uh, at least partially with monkey and bear with kind of the, the talk of, uh, the, relationship that you are fighting through even though it may not be the best thing for you yeah and then she literally gets bill callahan doing background vocals later in the song yeah within like the last (laughs) three minutes of it (laughs) because i mean like people are like weird about their relationship to each other is my main understanding of joanna newsome fans yeah Uh, yeah which like probably doesn't need any elaboration but like (laughs) anytime that to anytime to like musicians that are fairly like open with their fans um like get together it's always people always end up being weird about it like yeah like with uh nathan williams and bethany cosentino back in the day oh yeah people were real freaks about that one but now waves is a landlord so who cares (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, i mean i mean it's go longs on have one on me but i don't know how anyone is like obsessed with like their relationship or like what it was after hearing that song because it's like that is like the like sickest discs diss song like ever (laughs) yeah (laughs) um joanna invokes uh imagery of sisyphus uh to talk about um like a lover's infidelity um and this is this this before this recording was the first time I had listened to this album since playing Hades, since playing Hades. Um, and my <laughs> my friend Sisyphus would never cheat on me personally. He he just no, gives he would me never do he it. just gives me euros and fries and it's nice. He's nice. <laughs> I, I just I I really like I was when I was listening to the album yesterday. I I literally had to pull up my phone while I was on my walk at like minus eighteen outside, uh, just to pull up, just to pull up my phone and say I can't believe the line. Sass, some sassafras oh sisyphus and oh that's an awfully real gun are in the same song yeah <laughs> yeah that that line uh that's an awfully real gun kind of brings all of the metaphors uh 
kind of into the background while something like really concrete is happening all of a sudden. Yeah, they 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 had this one of the few lyrics that are directly referenced in the pitchfork review that it kind of just feels like a rend in the fabric, which I thought was a really good turn of phrase for how yeah. that lyric feels in the rest of the song and even in the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. Cuz like, you know, she's she's intentionally pulling like uh some really like like almost like storybook imagery through a lot of the album. That's like kind of how she weaved the whole thing and then to just be like Oh shit! That's an awfully real gun. Mm-hmm. Oh, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> that's that's the cover art again. The, yeah. the cover art is the the stylistic choice plus a bunch of modern items. Yeah, I guess it, it's like it's not it, it necessarily an anachronism, but it feels like one. Yeah, with the kind of style that's around her. A, a Fabergé gun. <laughs> <laughs> Was that, was is your edition of East the the gun edition? Did it come with the gun? Did it come with the awfully real gun edition? <laughs> uh, Drag City was out of those by the time I got into this album. The line that jumps out at me more than that one that always kind of feels weird is, um, "In my doorway we shucked and jived." I don't know what it is about shucking and jiving, but that that one was always just like that. Just seems like a weird sentence to use right there because that's. <laughs> I- extremely black American culture. <laughs> yeah. Right? And it's just like, eh, what's what what that doing there? That classic that classic rock song, uh, Shuck, Jive, and Wail. <laughs> and then, yeah, the, the Bill Callahan comes in on the with, with the bones. All my bones, they are gone, gone, gone. Take my bones, don't need none. Cold, cold, covered, Lord, nothing to chew on. Suck all day on a cherry stone. The the, the Bill Callahan vocals, like I, I feel like they work with the tone of the song, um, mm-hmm. but they are they are singing like it's not even it, it's it's listed as a vocal harmony, but it is not harmonized at all. <laughs> and I yeah, don't know no. if that was intentional or if that I mean that is just kind of how Bill Callahan sounds. I think he's just isn't he just singing like two octaves down from her? I I don't know if it's just the timbre of his voice that makes it so different because it just yeah. it, it really it really feels dissonant. And I, like, I don't know if that was intentional, but I think it works. For sure, I think it yeah. Works, I think it kind of works to the point of the song. Yeah, the thematic nature of the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't... I I think to this day I still don't know what this song is. <laughs> yeah. I, I've heard it so many times, but... And like I could probably sing it all from memory, but I just I still like don't know what's happening throughout all of it. I'll have to ask. I'll have to ask James because he's both a huge Joanna Newsom fan and a huge Bill Callahan fan. So maybe, yeah, he has, maybe he's thought he about it a little tea, bit more. He has to read the tea leaves for us on this one. Yeah. I'll, uh, maybe I'll. Maybe I'll. Uh, Caroline wanted to wanted to be on an episode for East, uh, but uh, didn't join our server in time. So I'll just. Uh, I'll say, hey, hey, Caroline, you want to just drop like a few quick minutes about Only Skin for us, and we'll just put it in the recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll 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 get um. We'll get uh, Caroline's Pepe Sylvia monologue about it. <laughs> and now that the 45 minutes of that has passed, um, <laughs> uh, do we have anything else about Only Skin? Um, I feel I like it's another one that just almost has to stand for itself, which like, I yeah. know feels kind of lazy from like a music analysis podcast, but you know. I do yeah. like the line Them's about... The um, I do like the line about like the relationship being like walking past burning cities. Um, yeah, while holding Flickering while wasteland. holding your lover's hand makes the sight quote hail and harmless. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a story about this song actually. Now that I think about it, fuck yeah. Um, I when I was in college, I think I went on a date with a guy who was like, I think he was at the music school here, 
and um, he wasn't familiar with Joanna Newsom. And I like the day wasn't like going that great. And like, I think we got like a meal and I just like, wasn't feeling it. So, but like, I go back to his place or whatever. I don't know why. And then I, I make him sit through this, all of this song. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew I was like, it, it was a power move on my part. Because yeah, he was course. like, oh, sure. I'll listen to it. And I made him sit through this, like to almost 20 minute song. And then I walked home after no explanation no <laughs> there's a certain vulnerability to say hey i need you to listen to what i consider one of my favorite songs i'm going to be here next to you as this happens and i'm going to see your physical reaction to it as it happens um, i'm a horrible person <laughs> <laughs> i just like i feel like i can never make someone listen to a song when i'm physically present because i am going to be reading every single reaction out of them as it goes on i just remember one time um i was just in a it was in like an open office setting and it was like it was like a friday and everyone was kind of just like half working at that point and i was like okay we're all gonna put on our favorite song everyone like one after another and i'm like oh put on heartbeats by the knife because that's like you know pretty perennial top of the list for me and it came on and everyone just looks so awkward saying that they hated the song (laughs) <laughs> like like they, like like they just looked like they all were hating it as it was happening. Oh, no one okay. said anything. Yeah, but they felt it. I no, felt I, it in the I room. I can one up that. I can one up that. For some reason, oh, good, 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 good. I, I I was taking a Latino studies class, and I don't know why we did this exercise, but like our professor, like he made us like write about like our favorite song. Like this had nothing to do with the class. I don't know why we did this, but he like made us like take five minutes and write about our favorite song. And then he called on me first to tell, to like ask what my favorite song was. And then he like pulled it up on YouTube and watched and like, we listened to it the whole as class. a class. A lot of these people are just like in that class, to, like fill like a requirement, like a gen ed oh, requirement boy. or like something. Can you guess what song was playing for like most of the length of it? Was it only skin? No. It was Oh Superman by Laurie Anderson. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh no. Cause like it's a vulnerable enough experience when you are doing it by your own choice in front of one person. When it's someone else queuing it up in front of a crowd of people, I think that that's <laughs> legally recognized as torture by the Geneva Conventions. I was so uncomfortable. I, I was so uncomfortable. I, <laughs> I would have literally I would have literally dropped out of school. <laughs> like that that is that is the psychic result that would have had on me what's annoying is that when i when we started this exercise i had to like think for a second which i wanted to like write about and i was like it's either going to be oh superman or at the time um carissa by sun kill moon because that was oh. like the time that album yeah. came out yeah and i was like yeah oh superman is my favorite and i was just like i i would have been happier if i chose the other one because <laughs> at least it would have been like oh like sad acoustic song like okay yeah, that's yeah. fair but then i it subject people to like honestly like what felt like the whole song but it was probably only like three minutes of just ha 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 <laughs> horrible <laughs> so bad yeah like chris is what like seven minutes it's like a seven minute song yeah like it's still pretty long yeah i think it's like six something yeah six something pretty good song uh shame about the everything about him yeah, it is honestly a shame because that song is I it it is one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, well, that's like the last album he put out before um, he succumbed to posting disease. <laughs> so we don't we're yeah not here to talk about him. He's cringe. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the last song. 
Last song is Cosmia. And all those lonely nights down by the river Brought me bread and water, water in But though I tried so hard, my little darling I couldn't keep the night from coming in And all those lonely nights down by the river Brought me bread and water, kiss in the can Now in the quiet hour, when I am sleeping I cannot keep the night which is a genus of moths, and the moth imagery carries through this entire song. Yep. This so, is the one that comes up the most for me, just like on casual play, because it's the shortest. Um, like, like I threw it on like a lot of playlists uh, because where where it felt like if I put any of the longer songs, it would like you know dominate the playlist a little too much. So it's probably the one I've listened to the most from the album, just by that nature. And in a way, it's honestly like the heaviest song of the whole album because um, I don't know if you, you're familiar with the context of this song, but so in 2004, when Joanna was on that Freak Folk tour or whatever, or Family Jams, I don't know if that was the name of the tour or just the documentary, um, she got a call from her family that her like very close childhood friend had died in a car accident. Oh, shit. And she was stuck on this tour I think they were on the East Coast at the time, so it's not like she could just, like, drive back home. She just, like, had to, like, power through it. And then I think for her friend's funeral, she did fly back and, like, miss a few dates of the tour. Um, So this song is obviously in reference to um, her uh, childhood friend. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that really kicks your ass, huh? I mean, yeah. It's like from like I guess a personal standpoint. I think this maybe has grown. Actually, it's going to be my favorite over time. Um, because I had a friend who died the same way. Uh, I don't remember. I can't think of what year it was at this point. But it's just like the, just like the pleading at the end, or not even like pleading, but just like the, like open statement of like I miss your precious heart. Yeah, the the grief of it. I think is like really yeah. the. And miss and miss. I think again, this is this is Van Dyke Parks really uh, really getting the overdubs perfect. Mm-hmm. Like I feel I feel like the the string hits there are some of the best orchestration work on the whole album. Yeah, Th- which, this one yeah, is like, another one which has um um th- which almost you could say has a chorus because it has the repeated stanza of and all those lonely nights down by the river you brought me bread and water water in. Yeah, again, no, I back tried to the. So hard, my little darling, I couldn't keep the night from coming in. Yeah. I mean, it, I can actually, I can sing that one. <laughs> it could be like the little reference to like her like weird spiritual experience where she just like stayed by the river and then her friends brought her food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that just, could be. God, the the water themes are just everywhere, huh? Yeah, they, they really are. The, uh, I mean, she even literally says drown on this one. Moths around me thought they'd drown me. <laughs> <laughs> um, the instrumentation on this one, uh, you mentioned the arrangements. Um, and we didn't mention this on Emily, but um, there's jaw harp in this album. Mm-hmm. Which, I, I, uh, I feel like I, I really never appreciate. really noticed it. Yeah, it's a lot I easier really to detect on headphones. Yeah, on headphones and also just like, you know, I was listening to the flack with a really good dynamic range on it uh, because I'm becoming that guy now since I have a <laughs> I have a portable audio player that plays flack now. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm just I'm full audio file mode now. <laughs> I just it's one line that st- sticks out to me, especially is um, right before the, the closing refrain, the will you call me when you get there? 
um which knowing that her friend like died in a car accident that's like something you always say to someone when yeah. they go like drive somewhere and then for her to say that in a bit more of like a cosmic sense uh yeah. to her friend is like it just like the parallel is like very impacting mm-hmm. yeah for sure joanna you really gone and done it huh I mean, she must have had a hell of a year to, like, write this record in the aftermath of it. (laughs) No shit, huh? Well, yeah, yeah, because, like, uh, she'd said, like, the the songs are, you know, like, stories of of her life placed to, you know, with, like, a layer of metaphor or whatever on top of them. But, yeah, I didn't even mention it's, like, these are all stories, basically, that had happened within a year of each other, right? Like, it was all all basically since Milk-Eyed Mender had come out. Mm-hmm. Yep. which is insane that is that is a fuck of a year <laughs> yeah i mean one thing didn't i i think i picked up on was uh she had either started writing this song or at least had the instrumental when she was on that tour um yeah. because there's footage of her in a hotel room playing the um like the syncopated part of the song so it, it's kind of interesting to think of the songwriting process yeah and well, how, it's like it- this if one probably the, came together really quickly in the aftermath of that because she already had some yeah. of the instrumental to it. Yeah, yeah. She had the instrument ready to go and then she just needed words to put to it, right? As someone who knows very little about the songwriting process as the one of three people on this podcast who does not record music, <laughs> I can... Uh, it, it's something that doesn't really like fly together in my head as well, but it's like the idea of thinking of the music and the lyrics separately. Um, I mean, I it, it tracks. Well, Sometimes a, a melody sticks where it's not necessarily connected to lyrics. Yeah, and I was reading it at one of the interviews around this time, and she, someone asked how she wrote songs, and she kind of would say that she would usually do like instrumentals, but then also just like have bits of lyrics where they weren't the right words yet because she hadn't yet like tried like singing with the instrumental. Because sometimes, and I I recognize this as a songwriter that sometimes like certain vowel sounds or syllable sounds just won't go with certain musical phrases and you kind of have to like keep playing it and like keep it around until you find the right match yeah so it's, it was probably more of that like having the, the rhythm instrumental of it, the way and, that she's getting her lines around yeah yeah that's understandable and then yeah, yeah of course it, if there's like a huge like traumatic event that comes with it then you know things can can start flowing a little bit differently as well around also, yeah, uh, sure. something that she already has imagine being such a good friend that after when like when you pass this is the song that you get oh <laughs> we should all strive to be that person oh of course <laughs> yeah anyway hell of a fucking album huh yeah, yeah. I, I i didn't mean i meant to touch on this and i didn't get a chance to but um um i sort of wrote, wrote down in my notes like joanna newsome as gay icon Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and there's quite a lot of that um, I, I would imagine it had to have started with this album and probably not Milk Eyed Mender just because of the I guess like scope and also just how much tr- more traction East got than Milk Eyed Mender um, yeah. I mean part of that was because the music I mean undoubtedly is better and the songs yeah. are like deeper but it's also just a bit more of an event um, yeah that's true I mean the, there, there's always the Owen Palette cover of Peach Plum Pear that, that 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 can work towards its uh t- towards its angle yeah but i was like <laughs> it's like it's almost a joke at this point that whenever people talk about joanna newsome they always bring up like kate bush and bjork yeah it, i mean it's like it's a cliche at this point like yeah they don't really have a lot in common those three artists like almost at all i would say 
but yeah, I, I would yeah, like Joanna Newsom and Bjork don't really sound alike at all. No, it's, like not what any whatsoever like Bjork's things most, electronics. At most, you can say the pitch of their voice, just the pitch. Like yeah, that's it. <laughs> They're both but sopranos, then, but I don't think they are. <laughs> yeah, I don't know enough about it. I. I they're they're not they're not true sopranos if, i don't know see that's the distinction i could never make well like a true soprano is like someone who could probably sing like the um the uh the mozart um queen of the night aria oh yeah. really okay. really high like that's a soprano i don't think bjork or joanna could hit those notes <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean like not knocking their ability or anything but um it's just it's just a different range yeah yeah i there are there are a lot more altos in popular music than i think people realize for some reason but yeah, anyways can actually get really low oh yeah um so like those three are always brought up like compared to each other or like when comparing any other female artists they're always like one of the three is always brought up for some reason and it is it's like a really annoying cliche at this point but when i think about those three artists and maybe we can kind of um, guess who who they would be in the future. Um, but those three are like gay icons for like the weird like underground, not necessarily indie, but like weird gay kids who are like out there, <laughs> and like one for each decade. So it's like, <laughs> I, and maybe this is a little retrospective for people of my age because we weren't alive in the eighties. But I mean, like Kate Bush, her decade was, I mean, it was the late seventies, but it was mostly the eighties. Um, mm-hmm. Bjork is definitely like 90s, even though she's m- still making music to this day. And Joanna yeah. kind of was like the 2000s. Yeah. Um, th- so what like you're a- saying is, who, who is the 2010s equivalent? Do we have one? Well, and I was going to say, I don't even, I don't know. It's hard to say because we're still so fresh off of that decade. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you kind of have to like look at like, who are the gays like really into and like stand complete, like almost like ridic- like ridiculous amount of like standing happening for someone who like i like isn't even gay themselves like whatever i think that the tens has to be mitski yeah okay. for better or worse i i mean like yeah. i can't think of anyone who has that much of like a reach who appeals to like the gay crowd who isn't like a member of sure <laughs> have yeah, you have I mean, you listened to the new mitski album yet because i haven't i tried no <laughs> we're feeling it i mean i'm not the biggest fan of hers in general but she does she's like she's fine yeah yeah I, i've listened I mean, to a little bit of mitski here and there um but i haven't really taken the time to get that deep into her yeah well it is just like out of like all the like kind of indie artists working like i guess in the prestige music industry she's like the one that kind of has like the most renown at this point yeah, I can see that. Like, just like so many like people are like, oh, I'm going to listen to Mitski and be sad or whatever, even though it's like, I think you could get sadder than that. <laughs> <laughs> Something that almost seems like performative about the listening or at least about the way that the people talk about it. Or, yeah, and the way people consume it as well. Um, yeah. Which maybe doesn't apply to the, the three I, I just mentioned. But like going back to like there's a certain type of gay who is very into Kate Bush, Bjork and Joanna Newsom. <laughs> like it, it's a it's a type of person i'm i'm definitely that type of person i have very many friends who are th- that type of person um i i noticed that the uh like i this might not age very well but the current 
uh, Jeopardy winner, the one who like broke the previous person's like really long streak. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you follow Jeopardy, but um, yeah, yeah, it was do. like is a gay librarian from Chicago, and he tweeted out like Joanna Newsom lyrics because he's a Joanna gay, and I was just like, <laughs> as soon as I saw him, I was like, that's a Joanna gay. <laughs> I I really wish I I really wish that he had uh, lasted more than one game because he seemed delightful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's just like. It's just like a type of person, and <laughs> it's hard to say because a lot of these people, my and myself included, like are consumers of pop music, and I would put Kate Bush and Bjork in pop music. Yeah, and for sure. Joanna is a little less so, maybe a lot less so. And there, I feel like, like she's, they're, they're she's had like, her pop moments, but yeah, there there are there are like you know, I mean, well, I mean that comes into a conversation of how the fuck do you define pop, right? Yeah. Right. And I think that kind of also goes back to the way that critics like those at Rolling Stone and elsewhere, like they did not know what to do with this album. No. Even no, the people that all. like even the people that heralded it as like a great piece of work and would be decade defining, like often they didn't you know, even know how to talk about it. I mean, I, I can say that like I mean, us doing this podcast, even though we have been talking for like 97 minutes about it, um, <laughs> I feel like we didn't even do that great of a job talking about it. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, like, I guess we focused a little bit more on like the lyrics, but like, I guess the music also seems like out of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I guess very, it's are... very classical, just in general. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess it's a little more broke than classical, but it's like orchestrated nonetheless yeah that's one thing that I, I i'm still confused on sometimes when people say classical i try to stick with like the classic time classical time period for music rather than mm-hmm. classical as a the genre, placeholder yeah. for orchestrated or something like that well, yeah, yeah cause this yeah. was also like this was a big time for like orchestrators in like indie popular music oh, yeah. like this mm-hmm. was the nico muley heyday well, Motherfucker Sufjan, was on every other album sufjan's illinois was the year before this yep um it, and like Grizzly Bear and like other bands that were like doing a lot more like orchestration, I suppose. Well, yeah, Arcade that was Fire, one of the albums. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Arcade Fire had Owen Pallet doing the, right. the string arrangements. Owen Pallet was also on every other album. Yeah, he was. On, I was actually he was on kind so many of surprised. Couple of years. I was surprised Owen Pallet wasn't even involved with this one because it just seems like the kind of. Well, thing. it's literally just because yeah, was he was mostly on Canadian albums in like two thousand six. Right. Yeah. It wasn't until a little later where he started branching uh, into like more uh, like session work for people. I'm just I'm just programmed to point at an album and say, "Hey, is Owen Pallet on this one?" I literally <laughs> I had that thought while I was looking over the violin list. I'm like I like I would know if he was. Yeah. Like I, this would be something I would already be aware of, but I was still like priming myself to see his name on there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like him, like Nico Muley uh, was on a lot of albums at the time. Like he was on uh, The Academist, I think. I feel like he yeah. was did, did orchestrations for that one. Um, God, there's, there's a couple other names that I've long since forgotten. But yeah, it was it was a very orchestral time for the for the indie rock uh, indie rock in heavy air quotes community. Well, I mean, even outside of that, you had people in rap sampling a lot of like a bit more classical things. Like, I mean. Um, Late registration, Kanye working with John Bryan, mm-hmm. and like, oh yeah, God. yeah. I mean, it just must have been in the air at the time that having like analog sounding instruments and like actual orchestration was what was in. What's surprising is, yeah, like the critical response to this record being like 
quite maligned in in some places. <laughs> yeah. God, and now I just remembered that I do have on my hard drive a hip hop album that is built out of Joanna Newsom samples called The Murthering Steak. Um, and, I mean, which the, I, roots, I, the Roots sampled her. The Roots yeah. also did sample her, yeah. And it's like, I... I just like suddenly remembered that and I have not listened to it in years and I do not know if it holds up. I don't yeah. even know who did it. I need to look this up. The murdering steak. Uh, no, not the mothering steak. <laughs> eat, sh- <laughs> eat, eat shit, Google. I wonder how much of the critical uh, malignancy was like um, seeing the fan base being like so into this while not really being into anything like it at the time um, and not knowing what to make of that and just kind of writing it off as a fad. All right. The Murdering State by Calamus Root Magician is a 20-minute Joanna hip-hop tribute remix EP. Don't be put off by the absurdity of the description. Unlike the many Joanna covers and remixes we've heard this year, this is perhaps one of the only truly inspired outputs worthy of your time. (laughs) <laughs> the Murdering Steak. So we chopped up the work of Joanna Newsom and the E Street Band from vinyl LPs. Um, and, you know, it's it's mostly using the E Street Band. And since the Roots tapped that vein, so this was right after the Roots had Joanna Newsom um, sample on the song. So this, was in, this was in 2010, so I probably downloaded it right after it happened. And I literally, I I literally see um, me and Dave's friend Kit in the, in the likes of the post. That's so- funny. So yeah, no, this is definitely something that I that I listened to when it came out and then never touched again. But I I, I knew that the reason that the, the the line the murdering stake always sticks out for me is because it was the name of that EP. Mm. Yeah, it is kind of fascinating how much of a like force Joanna's music has been like throughout like this and the decades after in music, even though she's not like that publicly like available. She's very, no. like, private and closed off. Um, I mean, she's been on a few, like, talk shows at this point, which I still find very yeah. odd that they invited her in the first place. I mean, it's obviously because she, she knows these people, but it's, like, yeah. so silly. She was <laughs> she was, uh, she was was on the uh, the finale of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Well, yeah, I That's guess right. that, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. I saw Even her. Even like, her husband is Andy Samberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Joanna! But she was also, she has, like, like one, she has, like, one line, and I was like, I love to see her. <laughs> yeah i remember watching one talk show where she tried to go through andy's agent to get uh like she just wanted to be like an orc in uh the hobbit <laughs> <laughs> my my favorite joanna newsome andy samberg related this related story is just how like when they initially met the first words she said to him were you're steve the cunt yeah <laughs> which <laughs> And yeah. Andy Samberg describes this moment as seeing cartoon hearts fluttering over her head, which I would be too. I would be too if she said that to me. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's like that's just such an amazing meet cute because like that's that's so specific. Like old Lonely Island. It's not SNL Lonely Island. That's YouTube Lonely Island. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which like that that that's such a good pull to grab right away. Well, with her with her influence uh, down the decades since since this album um, in mind, I am still listening through "Have One on Me." I haven't finished yet, so I haven't finished <laughs> listening to "Have One on Me." I'm still listening to it to this day. God it's been damn. twelve years. When will she let us free? I knew this shit was going to come up. 
I stopped briefly to listen to Divers, but then I had to get back to it. Yeah. Well, Divers, you can't ever finish because it never finishes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, like, it's a literal loop. It'll never be Yeah, it's true. Yeah. I I could talk about Divers, too. Obviously, it's not as important as, like, East was for her career. I think Divers is my favorite Joanna album. I I haven't spent... I haven't spent nearly as much time with it as I have with uh, with East and with uh, with Have One on Me. Although Have One on Me is a lot of me listening to like the same few songs over and over again, because um, just that that's how my music brain works. I'll get really fixated on certain ones. But that one that one had uh, like singles released ahead of time for it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yes. Good Good Intentions Paving Company does work as a single. Well, there yeah. was a music video made for it that was never released. Come on! Yeah. Where is it, Drag City? <laughs> Release the video. Release the video. No, well, well, I think it was said that she was doing. She'd made that video with like I don't remember who the director was, but it was like it was a it was a favor to them to like make a reel. So it was like yeah. the song was already cut to like a single edit, and then they shot footage for it, and then either she didn't like it or it was just a favor for their reel and it was never okay. like going to be a video to begin with. But there are uh, photos from it, so it's like, just release the thing. I but think you should just release it. Release it's the like new going back. Cut. It's kind of like going back to like her weird amount of like like presence and influence like people are still asking about that video to this day and that was like 2010 yeah. and it's 12 years later people are still asking like just release the video uh, we would be happy if you just released the video blah 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 um, i would just like to see the video thank you very much and i mean maybe it's there's an element of you know she's not on the internet or like available to the fans so yeah. the fans kind of are like engaged more with the actual music and her like life story i guess than if she were to come out and say it yeah Yeah. no that makes sense i also like i i understand that artists are sometimes like not wanting to put out something that you know feels unfinished or incomplete or not like a good statement of their artistic value and i also understand the fan impulse of i just want to see everything yeah. You know, so which it's like is, it, it's just a battle between those two impulses. Which is effectively what uh Phil Elverum just did with the microphones box sets yeah. and releasing uh like seventy gigabytes of uh material with that, a lot of which had never seen the light of day before and is yeah purposely called out as bad stuff that you shouldn't listen to in the liner notes. <laughs> <laughs> I I kinda gotta respect his like chutzpah on that one. Yeah, you really, really put his whole self out there, or like yeah. um, back in the Deer Hunter blog days, where um, where Bradford would just put out this giant fucking zip at the end of the year of all the random shit he'd posted on his blog. Yeah, those were always great. I loved having those around because it was always <laughs> just so many tossed off demos and weird covers and stuff that just like had no commercial value whatsoever. Uh I miss the days where, like, you know, music was commodified, but no one had figured out MP3s or streaming yet, so musicians could get really weird with it. I just miss the 2010s. It was a good time. Or I just miss the 2000s in general. The 2000s were great. I mean, it wasn't all great, but... (laughs) It wasn't all great. It was... was, Let us us not, uh, like, uh, patter to, (laughs) to, like, rote nostalgia, but at the same time... It was before the internet had been largely commercialized, and it was just generally a better place to exist and also to create art. I mean, I think we can unequivocally say that, like, the 2000s and even early 2010s, the internet was just better. 
It was just absolutely one hundred percent better. better. <laughs> the, like the unquestionably number, better. The number of websites directly correlates to the quality of the experience. Yeah, there was more websites, and thus it was better. Now there's like yeah. three websites, and they all fucking suck ass. Well, yeah. you know, you're forgetting the other option, JoannaNewsomeLyrics.com. JoannaNewsomeLyrics.com <laughs> is the only website. Uh, the, the description to this episode, instead of us writing anything, will just be a link to JoannaNewsomeLyrics.com. It should be. David, <laughs> don't actually do this. <laughs> no, you but better. But please actually, I, it, it needs to at least be in the description. Yes. <laughs> Well, I mean, that, anyone's going to need important. to follow along. They they need to know where yeah, to go. Yeah, exactly. They can't trust their yeah, ears. Right at, the, right at the start, of, right at the start of the episodes, uh, before we recorded this, we did not um, initially know of the existence of JoannaNewsomeLyrics.com. So, if you're listening to this uh, on your phone and not in a car, I just need you to uh, quickly go to your browser, open JoannaNewsomeLyrics.com, and just have that ready to go for your listen. Thank you very much, and enjoy the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's my, my 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 custom disclaimer for the start of the episode i do always appreciate um finding like websites that are still around that um like artists who have been online for a really long time are still maintaining um like that's uh, how i feel about old that's how i feel about old pokemon fan sites like cerebi.net yeah. looks it's so specifically web 1.0 still to this day that people complain about it literally every day of how bad his website navigates but i respect his decision to do nothing but static pages covered in links i respect yeah. it so much exactly um anyway like, in closing the one i specifically had in mind the one i specifically had in mind was uh the website for the musician wobbly who is uh yeah, one of yeah, the yeah. members of negative land who has been online and doing like webcasts since the late 90s and has just archived them all there absolute king shit yeah <laughs> in closing <laughs> so that's um, that's east yeah i yeah i mean it's hard to it's hard to realize the impact that it has had on my life. Um, I mean, in school, I was always like, even before this album, I was the weird gay kid. And after discovering it, I just cemented my status. I claimed that for myself. <laughs> it, just, it just locks you in. Yeah. It, I mean, it truly does. Like, I, it's like, I, after listening to this record, I'm like, wow, I want a harp. And I never have gotten yeah. one. But I have friends who got harps because of this album. <laughs> I mean, I feel we, we, me and me and David have a friend who does professional heart playing and is also a giant Joanna Newsom fan. So that tracks. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. <laughs> you got to start listening somewhere. to this album. You, you either you either like own a harp physically or you own a harp in your heart. <laughs> either way, it takes up a lot of space. Yeah, exactly. And is a burden to carry around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so that's, that's Tuning Fork. That's a podcast. Um, thank you all for, for joining us. Um, my name is David. Um, you could find me on Twitter, unfortunately, still at, uh, at Dave's with three V's. Um, I use that both as my personal and to talk about my music as spinning voices, which is, uh, used to be entirely chip tunes. Now is just kind of generally electronic. I do also all sorts of different stuff under that name at this point. Um, and uh, I'm almost done with my next album. So um, sometime in the next couple of months, you'll probably be able to see that. Um, yeah. And you can follow Tuning Fork at, at Tuning Fork Cast on Twitter. 
Um, Joey, uh, do you have anything you wanted to uh, plug before we before we wrap up? Um, good luck finding me because I'm <laughs> off of the internet now. No, uh, no, oh, I just, good for you. Well, I, yeah, I, I deleted uh, Twitter and Instagram because uh, yeah, they're good. pointless. Um, I deleted my Twitter for a grand total of three weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't commit. Um, but you it was can find. Nice, though. You can find my music uh, if you search Joey Walker. I'm on Bandcamp as well as all streaming services. Um, yeah, I don't have social media anymore, so good luck. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Joey. Joey has a new EP out, which I'm really a fan of. My biggest regret. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's really good. All right, I'm Matt. You can find me on Twitter at MattGCN. I have other podcasts, but they're not important because I never update them. Um, <laughs> I might update the Pokemon podcast at some point because I am actually really enjoying the new game. Um, I also run a podcast network, with this, which this podcast happens to be on, called Noise Space. That's at noisespace.xyz or xyz if you're a coward. Um, <laughs> and uh, you can listen to a whole bunch of shows on there, including my mostly abandoned show about They Might Be Giants, and then also a show that's currently about Radiohead, but will soon be about They Might Be Giants as well. Nice. <laughs> well, um, thank you to Nikki Flowers for uh, making the album art for this podcast. And thank you to Animal Style for the use of our theme song, Open Air, from the album Open Air. And uh, as we always say, every episode, I had never seen a shooting star before. I had never seen a shooting star before. Joey, you can get one in too. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> <laughs>